You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 378. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, son, hey, son, guys! Time again, recording! Oh. Yeah. <laughs> We're on, hey, a, on a roll, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, son, hey, son. Hey, son, hey, son. <laughs> That's a big thing these days, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. Sweden is making a big, quite an impact in on the European scene. And I'm, mm-hmm. of course, talking about the Eurovision Song Contest. So, mm-hmm. um, Laureen won uh, this The second Saturday. time, didn't she? <laughs> she won for the second time. Uh, mm-hmm. The song is called Tattoo. I think you maybe have heard it. It's uh, a little bit too theatrical for me, I think, but very professional. <laughs> She's very, very good, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I can see why people find it catchy. I want to point out that I am old enough. Let, let's talk about how old Pontus is. Pontus is so <laughs> old. He's so old that he remembers exactly 50 years ago when <laughs> ABBA won with Waterloo. Yeah. It was it was a huge thing at the time. I mean, I was like nine or something like that, but we were very, very excited about that. And we imitated, we, we mimed to the record and we had all the parents sit around and watch us while we were pretending to be ABBA. It was a, it was a thing. It was a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned ABBA because that's exactly a conspiracy theory. I heard about that because they said, who I've read, hmm, isn't it a bit too convenient that Sweden is hosting the ESC next year again, exactly 50 years after ABBA has won? So <laughs> isn't that a bit too convenient? And I'm like, why is that convenient? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder like, how convenient yeah, you probably want to celebrate 50 years of ABBA and that's why you want to host and that's why people like made it happen that that uh, Lorraine won a second time you yeah know? <laughs> we made it happen guys you heard it here first the, the Swedes the Swedes have the their Swedes fingers in everything the Swedes are coming for you <laughs> I, yeah. pardon my ignorance but how is it exactly so how does the voting go I, I actually didn't see it but usually they have uh, the expert voting for okay. so each of the countries involved mm-hmm. and you can't vote for yourself obviously and you hand out uh, 12 10 8 6 points or something like that mm-hmm. so that's the so-called experts do that and okay. then one one team from each country do that and then uh, there's a public voting as well I, in my days it used to be via sms now they of course have some app or something so there are two sets of votes and you have to win the total Is that yeah. right, Annika? So, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Like, I, I also don't know it 100%, but yes, there are two kinds. So, like, the public and the team, so to say, or like the, in general, we call it the jury. <laughs> the jury. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless you hack the app, I think there will have to be quite a few people involved if you want to fake the results. Mm. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> but no, but I, I still like found it really funny that like people see 1974 and then they see 2024 and then they see Sweden both at the time and they're like <laughs> That's a coincidence isn't it? <laughs> but well, I think it is. Yes. <laughs> it is. It is. 
I'm wondering if it could have something to do with the fact that it's probably not only me who doesn't understand the complete process of Mm -hmm. uh, voting. Hmm. Because the voting regarding the the winners of um, the Eurovision Song Contest is somewhat, to me, somewhat like cricket. That (laughs) I've been this close to feeling like I am understanding it, uh, but then I lost it completely. So it's, I, yeah. I have a similar thing to, towards There you have it. The Eurovision, the Eurovision. Song Contest. Yeah. The cricket of music. Yes. Exactly. And you heard it here for the first time. <laughs> All right. So, but a thing, speaking of things that people usually don't understand, uh, genetics mm-hmm. is very important. Have you heard that there are babies born now with DNA from three people? Yeah, I, I read that and I found it really fascinating. <laughs> I, I didn't see the news now, but I th- isn't that old news? Wasn't that a couple of years ago already? Oh, the first one, yeah, but uh, now it's in the UK, so it's uh, the, the the European angle that is. That ah, is, uh, okay, okay. Um, first time in the UK. <laughs> that right. makes it uh, important, yeah. And uh, it has been picked up by many, many news outlets, and unfortunately, the reporting is not necessarily correct, especially mm-hmm. in terms of what it suggests, because it suggests often that the DNA of people have been combined, and uh, that would be a genetic manipulation of sorts if that were the case. And that results in a bit of a public art cry and a lot of bloggers are now crying genetic modification of humans, which is supposed to be illegal and all that. But we have to make it clear. The problem is that the human eggs, well, most of mammalian eggs, as they get fertilized by the sperm cells, the mitochondria that are responsible for the energy production of every living eukaryotic cell. Uh, well, we are eukaryotes, so we uh, we are talking <laughs> we yourself, a, ourselves. We as, do have a you cell are, in our You are cell. as well, my <laughs> You friend. are. Oh, you are so eukaryotic. Maybe, Andras, you should explain eukaryotic. That's just like that we have a core a nucleus in our cells, right? And the nucleus, <laughs> so eukaryotic uh, literally means that it has a real cell nucleus, yes. Mm-hmm. So carrion is basically, it's not, no, it sounds a little bit different. So it's not the, the dead animal that, <laughs> that <the laughs> other animals eat. So We have dead animals inside us. <laughs> carrion, if we're carrion, not vegans, that's true. <laughs> yeah, carrion is the word for nucleus. So eukaryotic cell means that it has an actual nucleus, which means it has a membrane surrounding the genetic material of the cell. Now, there are other organelles in the cells that have membranes around them, including including one that is called the mitochondrium and the, the mitochondrium powerhouse. the powerhouse <laughs> of the cell and it's actually i mean the current knowledge that we have about it suggests that it is of prokaryotic origin so it mm. it is basically it's, it's it's called endosymbiosis in german it's called endosymbiotic hypothesis <laughs> yeah 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 it's the endosymbiotic hypothesis mm-hmm. so first of all it has its own dna because it's mitochondrial dna that is a prokaryotic dna the structure of it is completely different from what we have in our nucleus. The thing is that when the fertilization happens and the sperm cell reaches the egg, the whole sperm cell doesn't enter the egg. 
it's only the genetic material, basically, that enters the cell and does mm-hmm. the fertilization. So as a result, we don't have mitochondria transferred from the sperm cell to the fertilized egg. Some people have issues that come from so-called mitochondrial diseases when the mitochondria do not work properly in the cell. And if the egg cell doesn't have properly working mitochondria, then it will result in developmental issues Mm -hmm. that are very severe, so severe at times that it can prevent the child from even being born or they die in a short time. So if it can be identified that there is a problem with the mitochondria, they can actually transfer mitochondria from other cells, from a third person's egg cells or an embryo. And it means that the normal genetic material that's in the nucleus will still be from the parents. So that is something that we have to understand because there is a lot of things going on now and there there are a lot of misunderstandings and misinformation is being spread about what's actually going on with the mitochondrial DNA being passed on to an egg cell from a third person. So it's not really, it doesn't have like three nuclei or so. It's just mitochondrial DNA that's also added to it. That's why I think where it's misleading because you think, oh, it has probably like three nuclei because there's three people in there, but like that's not true. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's, it's the normal genetic material that's in the nucleus. It's the result of a normal fertilization. Yeah. What you add is, the, oh, let's get this mitochondrium out that doesn't work properly and pop something in that works. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So we basically make the egg cell work instead of not working. Yeah, it's like father's <laughs> so, tea, mother's milk, so to say. Yeah. But they changed the cup, if you know what I oh, mean. Oh, well, well, it's a <laughs> it's a somewhat disturbing picture, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's basically it. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. And uh, the thing that we usually move on to at the beginning of the show is This Week in Skeptical History, also known as Twish. And I think it's only fitting that I am now going to be um, mentioning someone who's very adamant when it comes to proper communication of scientific facts and the collection of scientific data as well. And that is a person who celebrates his 49th birthday on the 20th of May, because he was born in 1974, and the guy's name is Ben Goldacre. Mm. Dr. Ben Goldacre, who's... Uh, Well, a lot of skeptics know him. A lot of skeptics have arguments with him (laughs) as well, especially when it comes to placebo effects. So I've heard. Wink, wink, Mike Hall. And (laughs) yeah, so he's a physician. He was given the order of the British Empire as well. So he's a very well-recognized person. He's uh, a science writer, very prolific one at that. And uh, he's the founder of several important projects when it comes to collecting data and collecting especially uh, data from clinical trials. One of those projects is the All Trials campaign. And the other one is the Open Trials campaign. The Old Trials campaign is important because it advocates the need for every single clinical trial that is being done pre-registered in an internationally established system. And as a result, whatever the outcome of the, the trial is, they would have to publish it because every registered trial should be made available 
to all the scientific community. That would provide a very important level and a very high level of transparency in the scientific field of uh, medicine, which is uh, unfortunately full of uh, those misconducts and uh, problems with reporting. And uh, that is what uh, he, both in his scientific work and his science communication work, been talking about a lot. And uh, he had uh, two very exciting and important books published. Uh, Bed Science was the first one in 2008, where he basically explained a lot of misconduct in not only the different fields of science, but also in pseudoscientific fields. Like, uh, he's, he's mentioning a lot of uh, complementary and alternative medicinal practices as well, where the science is done completely wrong. The next book of his, Bet Pharma, was... Uh, a very controversial one and a very brave one as well. That was Bad Pharma, How Drug Companies Mislead Doctors and Harm Patients. And uh, contrary to what the name suggests, he's not saying that the pharmaceutical industry is inherently wrong in everything that they do, what a lot of pseudoscientists claim. But he says that because of all that misconduct that is happening in the pharmaceutical industry, there is a lot of open space for the nonsense as well. And we should make sure that the pharmaceutical industry is being held in check. Yeah. He's not, he's not arguing that the alternative medicine yes. business should take exactly. over. He still believes in the process. It's just that it has to be corrected yes. and made sure that it's not... You don't yeah. promote things that do not work or are harmful. Exactly. And um, he's also been in involved in the Open Safely collaboration, which was collecting millions and millions of NHS patient data sets to analyze and put together a risk analysis as to what COVID-19 meant and how the opening of the whole economy and, and the whole country should be done. And uh, I think that's a very important thing as well. So he's basically moving a medicinal science to the data analysis side of things. So, and, and I think he's very good at that. He's he's doing a very good job at that. And he has, a, a, just a, a, lastly, I'd like to mention something that is a controversy surrounding him, his name, and that is when it came to the criticism of Andrew Wakefield and Andrew Wakefield's article on The Lancet, uh, the 1998 paper, because uh, he had a bit of a clash with Brian Deere over how big a problem was that Wakefield's article came out and at the beginning, when Brian Deere hadn't yet revealed all the data of his research into how it was completely fraudulent, Andrew Wakefield's paper, Goldacre argued that it was not that important. It was, well, it's a small case series report, and uh, it's perfectly good one at that, so nothing there to see. Uh, it was just blown out of proportion. Well, we definitely agree with that. But yeah, it turned out to be factually wrong as well. What he argued afterwards was that, yeah, the problem was that it was a very small data set anyway. So why would anyone think that it, it really indicates a problem with the MMR vaccine? It doesn't necessarily indicate that MMR causes autism. So the problem was with science reporting in the first place. So it was definitely blown out of proportion. It's an interesting argument. 
I don't necessarily agree with that, but I mean, I do agree with the fact that it was blown out of proportion and uh, more caution should have been applied. But uh, yeah, so that caused a little bit of a controversy around him in the scientific and skeptical community. But other than that, I'm pretty sure that most of us appreciate his work and his achievements very much. So mm. bang old Decker, happy birthday. Happy, happy, birthday. happy birthday. Happy birthday. On the 20th of May. <laughs> yeah. But th- that brings us to the very joyful moment when Pontus spoke to Pope. <laughs> All right, so I will poke the Pope. I've, he has had two weeks off now, uh, so I better bring you up to date on what's going on there. Yes, so please. So the first thing is <laughs> that there was much ado made a, a couple of weeks ago about the unprecedented decision by the Pope to let women vote in the upcoming Synod of Bishops. This synod is cryptically called the Synod on Synodality, which sounds very meta. <laughs> it will take place in October and it will actually go on for a full year. So uh, just quick detour about that name. A synod means a meeting of bishops. So a synod on synodality is a meeting about how bishops should meet and how they should take decisions. So it's about it's how... It's very it, meta. It's very meta. It's, it's about how the church really functions. Uh, but but it, I guess it's important if you care about the Catholic Church. Anyway, even if this is a meeting of bishops, Frankie has decided to let other people join as well. This has happened before. But then these non-bishops didn't have voting rights. And women have been taking part before, occasionally. But again, of course, without voting, because you cannot be a bishop if you're a woman. So that's how it works. But the news this time is that even the non-bishops will have a vote in the meeting, including the women. So how many people will be part of this meeting? Uh, We don't know yet, because bishops will be selected from dioceses all over the world and sent to Rome. But usually it's about 250 to 300 of them. And in addition to them, Frankie has now named 70 non-bishops that will take part, whereof 40 are women. So it's hardly like these women will take over the whole thing. And they are mm-hmm. still handpicked by the Pope, so I guess he approves of what they are thinking. But it's uh, still sort of progress, uh, even if you have to ask, what took you so long, Frankie? This is, this is, you know, the rest of the world got there long time ago. And then, of course, the question is, does it really matter? Because in the end, a synod votes on the wording of a certain document that will be handed over to Frankie for his consideration. But he is under no obligation to follow any of what it says in the in the document. So wherever you hear about voting in the church, please remember that it, it's not uh, a democracy. The Pope is still the Pope, and uh, he is the ruler supreme over the Vatican and the church, and also over these synods. So that's one thing. Uh, good news, I guess, in a way, that he lets women take part, but not as big a news item that you might think. The other thing to comment on this week is that uh, Frankie has finally made some progress regarding his ambition to play a part as mediator in the Russian war against Ukraine. I have mentioned several times before that Frankie wants to see himself as the potential uh, solution to this problem. He wants to negotiate some kind of peace. 
And um, last week, Zelensky visited Rome to meet some Italian ministers, but he also met up with Frankie. So why shouldn't he? I mean, it's a good idea for Zelensky to be friends with everybody and the Pope desperately wants to to play a part. So uh, they had a chat, but we should say that Zelensky afterwards played down the role of any papal negotiation, saying that, quote, it was an honor to meet the Pope, but the peace plan must be Ukrainian, end quote. So not even Zelensky is really taking this very seriously. Mm. But there are rumors that maybe Frankie can still play a minor role, not in ending the war, but in negotiating the return of abducted Ukraine children from Russia. And uh, who knows, maybe he can do something there, but I really doubt that because I don't think Putin is at all interested. For Putin to agree to such a negotiation and return these children... That would mean admitting that the children were abducted in the first place. And he's never going to admit that. So I I don't know. We will see what happens. Yeah, regarding a lot of things. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that brings us to a bit of a lookout onto what's going on in Europe. Yes, and um, I've got good news. And that is that the Golden Board award is back <laughs> oh nice that's oh, goldene good. brett goldene brett was it away for a while yeah like like <laughs> a lot of things they had a bit of a pandemic break oh really yeah they call it pandemie pause <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah they're back um they'll come back on the 5th of october this year in vienna mm-hmm. tickets are open so you can you can get tickets yeah, you can also soon, soon they will open the phase where you can nominate people. So that's not open yet, but once it is, I will I'll let you guys know. So what is what is the Golden Board again? It's an award ceremony. You can basically think about it like Austria's version of the Rusty Razor. <laughs> yeah, this, so, is not okay. a, this is not a prize you want to win. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you, you wouldn't be proud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like an, an award, not an award. <laughs> yeah. mm. But yeah, it's it's exciting too that it's back and I'm excited for it too. Great. Okay. Have I told you about the publicity that we got for the, the winner that we named? The Flat uh, for, Earth for Award? The Flat Earth Award? Mm, yeah. No, yeah. It was it was a massive campaign, but it, it is still developing. Oh. I oh, have wow. to say that even though it's not a good light that we are being shed on, but we have never been this well-known across the country, <laughs> the <laughs> Hungarian skeptics. So everyone has heard about us now. We just need well, to find a way to turn that fact into proper attention that we can actually explain stuff. <laughs> yeah. So Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, we got an email from listener Irvin oh. in yeah. Ireland. Uh, so thanks a lot, Irvin. He sent it to info at the ESP.eu and you can also do so. Everybody who's listening, we are reading all the emails that are coming in. But this was an interesting news item. We are trying to get used to a world where more and more so-called news content is being generated by AI, by artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. Fake news is, of course, not new, but with chat GPT and other services available online it's getting much much easier to create things that aren't true and get them published so last friday the irish times ran an opinion article called quote irish women's obsession with fake tan is problematic end quote and the main message in this opinion article was that getting a fake tan is cultural appropriation so white people should not try to assume 
the role of minorities by changing their skin color. So a bit controversial to say the least. And the topic was probably trying to generate attention by pushing all the clickbait buttons on of people who think political correctness has gone way too far. It was accompanied by a photo allegedly showing the author, a lady, a young woman, uh, with the not too Irish sounding name Adriana Acosta Cortez. But very soon people started to react against the article, not because of the content, but because the photo looked fake and the subject was very controversial and seemed a bit made up and just there to generate clicks. And then nobody could find any trace of a real person called Adriana Acosta Cortez. Not, nothing on social media, nothing wherever. And it was also pointed out that the name was very similar to a Democratic Congresswoman called Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, AOC, very often known as AOC. And she is often the target for right-wing criticism for being too woke. So maybe this was a fake AOC or AAC, I guess, an Irish version of this, just trying to get attention. And after all of this, the Irish Times withdrew the article and published an apology stating that, quote, the article may not have been genuine, end quote. So... This is a wake-up call if you didn't, if you weren't awake, awoke <laughs> already. But about AI, it's, uh, this one was caught. But uh, how many fake articles are there out there that we do not recognize hmm. as, as AI? We we don't know, mm -hmm. and and it will be, just become worse and worse. Yeah. It's um, like a white spot on a on a map, you know, like we don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so we, I don't know what to do with this, except to just remind ourselves and each other that uh, don't trust everything you read. And again, thanks to Irvin in Ireland for sending this to us. It is a bit of an evolutionary arms race, right? So mm -hmm. th there is the development of this technology, but we have to de develop, develop the tools as well to detect the, the article being written by AI. And um, I mentioned on the last show that um, we held a whole day conference um, in Seged. And one of the topics was covered by a linguist. And she was talking about a project that they are, they are working on uh, for the detection of uh, AI-generated material based on the language that they used and what words are put in the system and in what structure. So you won't necessarily recognize it, but it, it can theoretically be automated as well, that kind of detection system. Mm. So it's an interesting development, but I, 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 I don't know. Uh, but there is one more thing that we have to make sure is that when there is wrongful actions, scientific misconduct and bad science, we have to detect that as well. And one of the most important tools in scientific publishing to deal with that is to retract or correct material, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is that with so much output of scientific publishing, the problem becomes that there is no capacity, uh, human capacity, to work on that and to do the detection and do the retraction as well, make the decisions. So it's a long, long, long process. And it has been shown to be growingly long. So it becomes longer and longer as we go on. This is what re recently was investigated by the Science, Innovation and Technology Select Committee of the UK 
uh, House of Commons. And that is a very important committee. Select committees are appointed by the House of Commons. Usually members of the House of Commons are the members of the committee as well. They are there to assess a certain field before decisions are being made by the parliament. So now there is a new report by the committee that calls for papers to be corrected and retracted much quicker than they currently are. They claim that research integrity and reproducibility is suffering in this process because the problem is when the unretracted wrong material becomes picked up and being republished and and quoted and uh, cited, that actually affects the whole web of science. So it's interesting to see basically political kind of committee asking for that kind of better transparency in science and scientific publishing. So I think this should be joined by other similar committees in other European countries so that we can work together to try and and, and work out a way to make that happen, to retract and correct published scientific papers much quicker. And they specifically suggest keeping it under two months. Mm. Yeah, it's it sounds a little bit arbitrary, but that two months, one feels that it should probably be doable. Yeah, but we know that it sometimes takes years after exactly. people point out exactly. this paper is wrong, there's a lot of problems with it, and it's still there a couple of years later mm-hmm. because it's so slow. Mm. Yeah, or yeah. they just get like repeated where they shouldn't be, like um, Wakefield's work, you know. Mm. Yeah, it took almost a decade to to, to get retracted. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Something that's not well done are Heilpraktikerschulen, healing practitioner schools in Germany. Well, for one, they're training healing practitioners. uh, Duh. (laughs) 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 Bullshit factories, yes. But... um, No, my criticism also has some substance. It goes back to a report in Tagesschau, which is basically the news magazine in Germany. Like it's the thing that everyone watches or reads. And they looked at several schools, did research and and investigations, and there are no standards, there's no control, there's no, no state control. They usually write their own curriculums. And hmm. yeah, I mean, that in itself is not the, the worst, but it can be if there's like a quality difference already. They also have stuff like, oh, you should use some fantasy to find out why your patient is in pain, for example, they say. What? And fantasy? If, yeah. Fantasy? Yeah. You use, <laughs> okay. you use your imagination. Or um. if you have little tears in the corners of your mouth, then that's because you have a brutal oral sex. <laughs> I guess that could happen. Uh, I guess there could be other reasons. Yeah, but there are also (laughs) other reasons, like iron deficiency, for example. So it's just like, um, yeah, that doesn't sound super medical. Well, of course, they rightfully criticized that that's not a good medical deduction. Yeah, and also worse things like one reporter posed as a patient and the healing practitioner, which was also the principal of that school, told her to not visit her grandfather who was uh, sick with cancer because she would could get infected by that cancer. Oh, oh my God. Yes, and, and also that he's responsible for that, uh, for his own cancer, because A, his star sign was cancer. Uh, so... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, 
Yes. Yeah. And also because he didn't do anything for his soul, that's also why it's his fault, apparently. So like absolutely rubbish. And also some of the schools are almost like a sect, like a religious group. Uh-huh. And that means that Sekteninfo NRW, which is a information office of North Westphalia about being in a religious cult, are in contact with people or like with acquaintances or family of students who went low contact or no can contact with their families because of these schools. Yeah. So aye, it's, aye, it's, aye. It, they say it has um, traits of a religious cult. And yeah. if you have that, and then statements like, you shouldn't visit your grandfather because he's responsible for his own uh, terminal cancer, then yeah, this is just very yeah. dangerous. And it's something that I feel poli- politics should get involved in. Yeah, it should be legal. Yeah, I mean, this, exactly. is, this sounds absolutely crazy, harmful. They're building on bullshit. Mm-hmm. They don't even do it consistently and they do it like a sect. Why do we have them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and on the <laughs> other hand, there are bureaus and offices in Germany that say, well, it's a therapeutic freedom and liberty of methods. So they can do that whenever they want. And that's where I see like they should change the actual federal law of like the Heilpraktiker Gesetz. Yeah. Because that's where the office says, well, it's in the law. We can't do anything. <laughs> so yeah, it politics. the law, yeah. Yeah, law needs to be yeah. changed. Lovely. Hmm. All right. Yeah. So a lot about uh, medical health or yes. not so much health this uh, <laughs> episode. I think you talked about retraction of papers before, uh, Andras. I have a, another story about a paper that some people said should be retracted. We are, many of us, we've been in the skeptical circus for a long time. And so we know about the so-called Lost in the Mall study by Elizabeth Loftus and mm-hmm. Jacqueline Pickrell. So this study is from 1995, and it showed that it was very easy to plant fake memories or false memories into a person by just suggesting that certain events had taken place in the past. Uh, They had just forgotten all about it. The classical example was to tell the subject that at the age of five, you were lost in a mall, you were very upset, but in the end, of course, your parents found you again, and um, it was all made up. But uh, the study showed that it wasn't hard to get people to, quote-unquote, remember this event after a little while. And they added lots of details and they knew exactly what color the skirt was of the woman who helped them find their parents. They just invented a lot of stuff and Mm -hmm. believed that it was true. Lately, this study has been um, questioned and criticized. Uh, Maybe it should be retracted, people said. Uh, What has been put forward, it was the low number of participants in the original study, only 24, and that there was a poor definition of terms like full or partial false memories, which was something they used as a term in the study. It was also questioned for ethical reasons. Is it really okay to plant these fake memories into the brains of the unsuspecting participants? Can you do that? So last week, friend of the show and great skeptic Chris French reported in the Skeptic UK magazine, the wonderful online magazine. You should all visit it every day. (laughs) Uh, Well, anyway, Chris French uh, uh, reported that a new study had tried to address these problems, basically tried to make sure if uh, Elizabeth Loftus uh, was correct or not. 
And by the way, Chris was uh, on the show on episode 48 and 98 of this podcast, if you want to look it up. Because we just love having him on the show. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. He should come back. Mm-hmm. Yep. But anyway, this new study was led by Gillian Murphy at University College Cork and University College Dublin. They had 123 participants, so bigger group. They clearly defined what they meant with a full false memory or a partial false memory. And they also discussed the ethical aspects with all the participants after the fact, though. But they did. So, how did it go? And as we said, we are very well aware of the replication crisis, especially in psychology. It's very hard to replicate studies and it could be a real problem. But the result was that the findings from the original study seemed to be very valid. And also that the participants and also their families generally held a positive attitude about taking it, even after they found out that they had been <laughs> manipulated to believe in things that was not true. They, they felt that they had learned something interesting about their own memory. So it was the ethical aspects doesn't seem to be very problematic either. So I guess we should continue to consider our memories to be very fallible indeed. And as before, we should always question if what we think we remember is really true. It's very often not. That would you yeah, should always do, that, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the next thing to find out about, and that is who's been really wrong lately. Yes, and that's someone I think <laughs> we would all agree has been really wrong. And we don't know the person's official name, but the internet name is Voices from the Void Zero. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that's someone that's actually pretty infuriating. Someone claimed to talk to James Reddy. Hey, 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 hey. And that's something like, well, we can we can all talk to James Randy if we want to. But the quest, the thing is that here, it's the person claims that James Randy answered from beyond the grave. Yeah, from beyond the grave, exactly. And that's the thing. Like mm. he is not with us anymore. He died, and this person claimed to speak with him. Calls himself Eve. And Eve is talking to James Randi and asking him, for example, do you regret being a skeptic? And he's saying yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course. And then they ask, are all the people frauds? And and then he's like, yes, they're all frauds except for this one person, Tony Farley, or I think there's something like that, who is not really like, no one knows that guy. Um, (laughs) And then he's like super impressed by her technique. And she asks, do you believe in God now? Yes, God is beautiful. And I'm near the void in, in heaven, but I can't ascend on the plains of heaven. And she's like, it's... It's a lot of garbage, you know, if you know what I mean. It's also really illogical, stupid in a way, because that's not how Randy would have talked. Like, No, yeah. I, I, we have met him. Yes. Uh, and yes. uh, that doesn't sound anything no. like James Randy. I watched a debunking video that we will put in the show notes. The guy mm-hmm. said, skepticism is not a religion. So he wouldn't say like, oh, no, I saw my sins and I like I repent and go back. to." <laughs> it's like, no, that's not how he would have said it. He would have said, oh, I found proof now that God exists or whatever. You know, like he would have said it differently for one. But then the other, they were. Yeah, you should have just 
done your research, yes. right? I mean, As you, well, how, they did, how they did like minimal it. research in a way that uh, James Randi apparently addressed his partner, Jose. Mm-hmm. Probably like the lowest research they could do to find out like, oh, he, he had a partner. Well done. Uh, but that's the only <laughs> thing I can say that they did right, so to say, in air quotes. Mm. They also did like really insulting things because this person, Eve, is saying that they have a spirit team of like spirits in heaven or whatever. And this spirit team is having like a funny conversation about James Randi while he's sleeping in heaven in bed. What? Oh. Yeah, and they then they just even... like totally ridicule him and say like he's bald as an armpit and like really insulting, like really <laughs> things like where we like even even us as skeptics, we usually say we don't want to be like too unkind to people who are dead. Not, Not that to they be care. done, so to say. <laughs> because, like, of course they wouldn't care because people that are dead are dead. But it's just a, a thing of, like, politeness. Do not be unkind to people yeah, yeah. in period, you know, uh, dead or yeah, alive. <laughs> the, the reason why we don't treat dead people badly is because it can hurt others who are still alive. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's... Yeah treat people nice alive or dead you know <laughs> yeah but sometimes we we all agree that yes, sometimes yes. sometimes, sometimes it's you don't really want to be difficult kind. to be kind <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it can be yes. really difficult but here like yeah they're, they're really insulting unkind unfriendly and also illogical so for Stupid. yes so for claiming to speak to someone who's dead and not doing proper research while doing so Voices from the Void receives this week's prize for being really wrong. Yeah. Very well disrespectful and stupid and yes, everything. Yes, all of the and above. So unnecessary. Yeah. Yes, true. Like all of that. Yeah. 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 All right. Thank you very much, Annika. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of the show, which is uh, usually marked by a quote. Yes, and this week's quote is a reminder that I always tell myself too, and it's by Amadeo Sama, someone we all know and like and love (laughs) (laughs) and appreciate. For those who don't know, he's one of the founders of GVUP, of the German Skeptics Organization. He's a German skeptic of German and Indian heritage and very prolific, I would say. He's a CSI fellow. And um, yeah, so he said this uh, following in 2018. Even skeptics may fall for claims that they wish to be true if they do not remind themselves that they too have their political, ideological and religious or non-religious biases that could cloud their objectivity. Here, here. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wish to be true. So wishful thinking is the worst, actually. Yes. <laughs> because yes. when you hear something that you really want to believe is true, you don't check it. Because... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or you, you, you're a bit, a bit more sloppy as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, if, even if you so, check yeah. it, you, 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 because you have that drive as a skeptic, for example, yeah. but still you will be much sloppier yeah. when it comes to assessing the, mm-hmm. the details yeah. Yeah. and yeah, the data. Yeah. 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 All right. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. And uh, yeah. Oh, by the way, Pontus, I believe that both you and I are giving talks this week. So by the time this goes out, it will already have happened. So (laughs) (laughs) that's right. I'm popping over to Prague to talk to Club Sisyphos, uh, invited by Mm -hmm. Claire Klingenberg, who we all know was on the show not too Mm -hmm. long ago. And I will talk about, uh, for the Czech skeptics, I will talk about the the Swedish COVID-19 response. And uh, what Mm. you've heard about it was not exactly what 
uh, was happening. Awesome. Mm. Yeah, I will also have a talk this week uh, during Skepcon. <laughs> oh yes, of course. Oh yes, we've oh, mentioned sorry. that before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 right. But that will happen. That will that will be happening after the release of this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah, good yeah, luck exactly. to you too. Thank you. <laughs> and what what are you going to talk about, Anders? I'm going to talk talk about my usual stuff. That is uh, that tourism is not necessarily full of facts. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I will be giving a talk uh, here in my hometown actually on uh, how tourism is basically a bullshit factory. And uh, yeah, huh? is that for the hung- Hungarian skeptics or what's the? No, setting? it's. Uh, I was invited by another organization. It's called mm-hmm. Torshoi for for the youth. It's an association that that organizes events for uh, young people from mm-hmm. the age of uh, like twelve or all the way up to twenty somethings. But the audience, <laughs> we when when I'm invited, it's not the first time that I get invited to them. It's usually mostly elderly people. Um, interestingly <laughs> but never mind yeah oh, good. those are the ones who are my tourists usually so <laughs> <laughs> yeah all okay. right very good yeah so good luck to everyone and uh thanks very much thank you for this week uh onika and pontus thanks many many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in please keep doing so and until next week goodbye tschüss hello this lot This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe One, two, seven, eight, eight, four, six, seven, eight, four, six, seven, play off. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> She was just missing me and crying a lot. <laughs> <laughs>